Hey, everybody. I wanted to introduce you to something I think you might like. And so if you're a listener of the Can I Say This at Church podcast, you are probably a person that likes to think about things that you've been told. We don't talk about that in, you know, normal society, or we don't talk about that at work, or we don't talk about that. Definitely don't talk about that at Thanksgiving or at Christmas dinner. And so I want to introduce you to Lucas Land. He has a podcast called We Don't Talk About That. And I'm going to let you hear a bit about it from him, but I really think you're going to enjoy it. Are you ever afraid to talk about something? Do you avoid certain topics, maybe with certain people? Like your racist Uncle Frank. Sorry, Frank. It's true. Do you want to learn how to have better conversations, increase compassion, and build bridges, not walls? We Don't Talk About That with Lucas Land is the podcast where we do talk about that with me, Lucas Land. Get it wherever fine podcasts can be found. The year's coming to a close. I want to say so many things, and I'm not going to say those yet because that time is coming. However, I do want to let you know about a few announcements just in case for some reason you missed it. Everything in the store is on sale for 15% off, 20% off if you're a patron supporter of the show, and you should be because you should be. Let me just thank you now for doing that. The promo code to get the discounts uh, for patrons, you just asked for that, but you should have received that email already if you didn't let me know and I'll get that for you. But for everyone else, it's just FU2020. Just type that in because I believe it. I think you believe it. To hell with it. FU2020 at the checkout and you get 15% off whatever you happen to click the button on that you wanted. I also want to take this time right now to thank people like Logan Kimmler for becoming supporters of the show. You, sir, are a saint. If I had the ability to make you one, I would. And so join him. Click the buttons. Today, I had Lo Alleman come on the show. Lo is technically, if I remember from the episode right, not a pastor. And you'll get that joke in a minute. He wrote a book called We Sang a Dirge. And that wasn't something that I'm familiar with. And it's, it's, it's like a collection of, of poems and prayers, and questions, not a lot of answers. Here we go. What does it mean? All of the pain that's happened to me. I can't escape the memory. I try to cope, I try to hope it all away. And you let me break. I never saw it coming. Low Alleman. It's good. Right? Did it? Yes. Perfect. Great. How are you doing, man? How's your evening? Doing good. For those who haven't listened, we've been going at this now for like a few minutes and I've enjoyed it already. And I should have hit record earlier and I didn't. And I'm sorry for those that aren't privy to the stuff beforehand. However, man, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about you. So you're in Texas, which I just found out. I didn't know that. And I want to be real clear. I try to do very minimal research outside of reading whatever I'm talking to you about or listening so that I can be as ignorant as possible because I find it makes for better conversations. So tell us what makes you you, man. What makes you tick? Yeah, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I like Jesus a lot. And (laughs) in light of liking Jesus and getting paid to talk about him, I'm technically a minister, not like an actual pastor or whatever, because I'm a part of like a Methodist church. It may take like 
that have a lot of like red tape as to who actually is or is not a pastor. Uh, so not a pastor. <laughs> I just I like Jesus and get to preach every now and then. And yeah, I'm an artist. I, I, I traveled around pre-COVID um, just talking about Jesus, doing an art form called spoken word poetry, which is basically writing poetry down and putting some flavor on it and saying it out loud, which has been it was a cool hobby before, but it's kind of turned into a, a ministry of its own, which has been a huge blessing to a life and my family. And yeah, man, it's uh, fun. So things that make me tick would obviously be writing. I like art. I like I like rap. I like music. I'm more of a basketball guy than mm. a football guy. Previous conversation that you guys are privy to, we were talking about football. Much more of an NBA dude. Born in L.A., so I love the Lakers, but I'm a real Lakers fan, so I don't like LeBron. Uh, <laughs> it was like a weird tension. What is a um, real Lakers fan? Um, and that, that means you weren't a part of the bandwagon. You were down those four years where we sucked. Um, mm. you, were, you were still on board. You saw the farewell tour with Kobe, and you – you watched every game and you saw us lose a bunch, but you you, you were there. Yeah, man, like I I, I believe this stuff. Um, <laughs> but because of that, remember like 08, 09, they were doing those Kobe LeBron puppet. They're pitting them against each other. Mm-hmm. Having LeBron wearing purple and gold right now is just it's not normal. It's not normal. Come on. Let him do it, man. Hey, so what is technically a minister? Like that's like so that's so you're applying for a job. And they say, yeah, technically you're a minister, but we're not going to call you one. Like, what does that mean? So I grew up I grew up in a context different than the one I'm currently working in. I grew up in a uh, an all black church, um, small CME uh, in Mississippi. What is CME? Uh, Ugly history. It used to be the colored Methodist Episcopal. Now it's the Christian Methodist Episcopal. Okay. Um, So it was a part of like the Methodist church that broke off because blacks and white folks couldn't do life together well. Right. Uh, so there's that. So my church I grew up in really, really small, really rural. And if you want to preach and be a pastor, you just be like, y'all want to do that. And they kind of let you. Mm. Uh, and I'm currently serving in uh, a much larger denomination that has a lot more kind of uh, rigidity around what you can and cannot uh, do without going to like seminary, without, you know, being ordained. And so I have no desire for ordination. I have no money for seminary or a large enough interest to invest the time. Yeah, I get to do all the same stuff, except for I can't marry you, bury you, and I can't bless your bread and uh, serve you wine and maybe the blood and body of our Savior. <laughs> so in our church, we'll let deacons, um, they don't they don't say the words, but they're the people that are there when you come by in a not pre in a pre-COVID world, which is a yeah. weird way to timestamp the world, but I think that's going to be a thing for a long time. Like it would be our deacons holding, but we're in a cooperative Baptist church. So I think we do what we want as Baptists. Like we literally like, yeah, we, we do our own thing. You be quiet. We do our thing. You do your thing. Cooperative Baptist. I haven't heard that one. Uh, so the acronym CBF, I think it, I know there's a big, a big um, chapter. Maybe that's the right word. Alliance group in Texas as well. So there's like regional Baptist churches that are all affiliated and a lot of them are basically the ones that were like, yeah, we will have a female minister, you know, because Phoebe's a thing, you know, in the Bible and some of these other things. Uh, matter of fact, my, my, my preach the other day, uh, he was talking about something in, I think it was Corinthians, and it's, Paul started talking about, you know, like I told this woman, you know, and she was basically, you know, like when you were at her church, at her house, and she was ministering to you, like mm-hmm. she said, I'm also now going to go forward. And he's like, he said in a side, he's like, and that should just put all of that women can't be ministers thing right to bed. And then he just kept on going. Um, actually, it was a. I told him I was like that was a that was a message right there. Like I needed all of that. But he was doing this whole 
Some of you support the president. I know this because you've told me. Some of you can never. And I know this because you told me. And he just kept doing the binaries. And he's like, and now I need you to hear me. But all of you, I'm going to need you to listen for a minute. He's like, I'm listening. I know this because you told me. It's a really good message. Um, yeah, it's on, it's on the internet somewhere. Anyhow, so the CBF, they basically broke off the SBC. And basically said, yeah, we've got our own issues. Don't don't mishear that. Every congregation got their own issues. Um, every church and then every governing. But they don't really govern us. We mostly just kind of pool money to do some larger national type stuff. But yeah, they basically broke off the CBF. And then just a little more bad blood or whatever it's called. So there's a, even in Virginia, there's another organization underneath that that is more of a local as opposed to statewide thing. And they're basically making us choose from what I remember from the business meetings of, well, you can't support any homosexuality at all. We're going to need you to take a firm stance. And based on your stance will be whether or not you can still continue to be in this organization. But we still want you to send your money. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> one of our business meetings soon is going to be one of these, what are we doing? Because yeah. you know, at our church, you know, we've got um, many homosexuals in the church. Some of them we've allowed to preach and they have been powerful sermons. Like, like wow. they brought a word and um, it matters. You know what I mean? Like it matters. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. not why I brought you on. That's an entirely different conversation. That's the danger of not scripting any questions. I love it though. I love it. <laughs> so, that conversation's real, bro. And, yeah. and what you're talking about, that, that's kind of why I try to, to lean into like that. Even your pastor kind of like, I don't know how to exist in the, in the binary. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like mm-hmm. the beauty of like, artistry is like i get to kind of be in that in between yeah and kind of open eyes and say hey don't forget nuance and i'll don't i know this is ugly but it's also beautiful and i know this is beautiful but that's also ugly you know yeah uh, so yeah man yeah so i wanted to just set the so you wrote a book which for the life of me i can't figure out who's publishing this book i even tried the google and i'm usually good at the google um yeah. it doesn't really matter who's publishing it i'm thankful for them reaching out however the book is called and i got it wrong a minute ago and i don't want to get it wrong again we sang a dirge, correct? We sang a dirge, yeah. yeah. What the heck is a dirge? That's not a word that we use. It's not on the radio. It's not a genre. Well, it is, but you know what I mean. Like, what is a dirge? Yeah, so that line is a direct quote from Jesus in Matthew 11, and he's basically calling out all of those who are apathetic but yet calling themselves followers of Yahweh. And he's pretty much saying, like, you know, the church, the kingdom, is a lot like you people except for – when the kids cry out and they want you to celebrate and to hang out with them, you do that. You see they're happy, you see they're joyous, and you, you celebrate the things that are worth celebrating. It's like when kids are crying out, singing sad songs. A dirge, which is a funeral song, mm. he literally says kids are singing this funeral song. They're mourning. Something has happened, and they are devastated. They've lost something that is deeply personal to them. And you walk by, and you don't mourn, and you don't cry out, you don't lament with them. That's where you miss the kingdom. You have every ingredient for the kingdom of God, except for you don't know how to sing and dance. You don't know how to cry when it's time to cry. And so, yeah, Jesus is basically saying there's no room for apathy in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Um, there's no room for that cold-hearted, I'm so for my opinion, I'm so for you know my stance or my view, that when I see somebody of another stance or another view, I can't empathize, I can't cry, I can't dance. So, yeah, the, the line that Jesus gets at, so we sang a dirge, is like a bunch of kids crying out in a market square. And that, to me, feels a lot like growing up in a black church and then bringing all that into the context of like working in a white church, like holding a lot of burden and lament and angst that I don't always feel welcome to share. Mm. Uh, 
And when I when I do share, it's an awkward moment. Like I just definitely ruffle ruffle feathers, and that's not always great. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, trying to figure out how to how to live within the tension of being black and Christian and an artist. And I feel like that's those three folds are who I am publicly to people, and most of my circles can tolerate about two thirds of me. Hmm. Uh, I can either be black and Christian, Christian and artist, artist and black, but all three aren't always welcome. And I think what we all kind of strive towards is a place where we can be fully ourselves. Yeah. And this book is just kind of like an outcry of that. Which one do you think is more often silence? Like there's got to, which two, three are dominant? Depends on where I'm at, where I'm at man. Depends mm-hmm. on where I'm at. I was born in California, but I grew up in Mississippi. So mm-hmm. again, vastly different spaces, yeah. um, vastly different experiences. And so my California family thinks I have a Southern accent. My Southern family thinks I have a California accent. You don't have an accent at all. I have nothing. I have, <laughs> I have literally nothing. I have literally nothing. But but that's the thing, right? Is like it depends on where I'm at. Mm-hmm. People people can tell that I'm other, you know. Yeah. Um, which I feel like is most of the black experience in general. Um, mm. I think all of us in some capacity feel it, but that's definitely the black experience, at least mine. I want to talk about your book, and I'm probably going to jump around a lot. So I've got. I hope you've got it in front of you or memorized. Probably both. So the book. And, and I'm going to try to summarize some of it is I wasn't really ready to read it. Like when it came, I was like, I don't know who this person is, just being honest. And most people don't know me. And I think that's probably for the better. And then as I read it, I was like, I was I, I was talking to my friend Josh just this like tonight because I read um, I reread the very first part. And I like I was at my son's karate reading through it because I want to make sure that I wasn't 100 percent ignorant for this evening. And um, I was rereading back through the bookmarks from a month or so ago when I first started reading it. And uh, I was not like, I set it down. Like I was not prepared at, at oftentimes enough. So with the lady sitting next to me, it kept looking at me like, like, cause I was reading it on my phone and I kept doing the whole, just, you know, just d- doing that whole thing. So yeah. one of the things I wasn't really prepared from. So the book is like approaching the lens of like black lives matter and like just a bunch of things that I wish we really didn't have to talk about. That shouldn't be a thing. And 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 you referenced it earlier. I have no idea if we were recording. Like, um, I think we were about. You know, oddly enough, you know, oftentimes you get black churches and white churches, or white and black people in the same churches, and they just can't seem to get along. And that's ridiculous and stupid. But I wasn't prepared for it. And I'm going to say his name wrong. Jeremy Martis, I think. Is, is it? I, first off, I was ashamed. That I didn't even know who that was. I had to Google it. And then as I read it, I was like. Uh, and I think I forget even the line you use. You're like, but where was like your all lives matter when this happened? Can you, I don't think most people know that story. And I know, can you kind of, that, that, that was the first set down. I'm like, who is this kid? And then I felt so convicted. Like, why don't I know this name? All the other names I know. Why don't I know this name? Well, and that, that's, that's the, that's what the artist trying to do is to pull out the, the conviction of not knowing him, but also, the assumptions you have about him as you read it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so, so Jeremy Martis is a little boy, six years old, who was killed by the police while he was sitting in the car with his dad. His father had got into an altercation with some police officers earlier in the week. And after coming from the bar, his dad is pulled over. The police officers draw their weapons. Jeremy's dad does not have a, a weapon in the car at the time. And they shout some commands at him and don't give much time for him to react to any of them. And then they just opened fire. The dad lives. Um, the dad survived the shooting. But the little boy who was six was shot five times and he died. And the story is hard. It's, it's, it's a hard story no matter what. But when I heard it, 
when I first read the story, I was like, this is not unfamiliar to me. Mm. Um, this is not a new story altogether. But then I found out he was a white boy. That just, it, it was it was like mm-hmm. I don't I don't even know how to categorize what to do there. And so one one of the lines in the poem is that there's a curse of the world that already has caskets your size. You know, uh, you, you you die this black boy's death, and I don't know how to how my worldview can fit you in it because mm-hmm. you're not a part of the narrative. You're not a part of the Black Lives Matter narrative. You're also not a part of that conservative kind of staunch white narrative either. Uh, what do we do with you? And I think yeah. I, I hate that his life is a perfect uh, analogy for where I think all of us are, but don't want to be and don't want to acknowledge that we are in mm-hmm. is we don't have space for the genuine mourning that needs to take place in this country. We don't know how to. Yeah. I'm going to quote this to you. And, and then I'd hope that if you could take it further. So you say, and I can't even remember what chapter it's in because um, just to be clear, my notes are in the notes app on my phone. <laughs> ah, <laughs> so uh, I didn't have paper with me because as you saw the the basement down here, uh, most of my paper ends up getting colored on and whatnot. So the only place that I know I can control is the notes app on my phone. Um, so there's a part in here you say, for years I've been heartbroken by the church's silence on issues of racial injustice and its complacency with homogeneity in worship. And you've been studying, praying, and waiting for a time when Christians would be ready to deal with this division in our culture, or at least address it where it exists within congregations. And finally, it seemed like we were at a point where these issues couldn't be avoided, and we'd been forced to deal with the mess that we tried to sweep under the rug. Can you kind of give voice to what you're talking about when you say issues? Um, Because I I ripped that entirely out of context, and then kind of how we swept it under the rug and kind of the implications of that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. I, I feel like when things happen, uh, we call them issues. I'm gonna give different names to them as we go. Uh, when there are moments that kind of highlight systemic inequalities, um, and I'll call them inequalities intentionally. Moments that highlight that there is something going on in the undercurrent of how we have dialogue around race. When when things happen, and like Paula White says the N word or uh, a police officer kills a black person. The response is typically these are black issues, mm. uh, and that that narrative is really damaging uh, for for all parties involved. But it, it's damaging because it one assumes that we were one before this happened, and then now that this has happened, the onus is on the victims to fix the oneness that's now been called into question. And so it's a weird kind of dynamic that I felt my entire life. Um, I feel like those around me have felt for quite some time. And so, yeah, there has to be some point where we can have conversation about this is what this is. Elsewise, language like, you know, systemic racism or white privilege, those are always like trigger words to sides that don't think there's an issue already. Mm. And, and and for those who are, who are very much believing that there's an issue, by and large minority communities, um, those issues can seem like, why are we just now talking about it? And so, when I, when I say issues being swept under the rug, I mean, I, I grew up in a town where I knew where I could not go. My uncle was a sheriff uh, in Columbia, Mississippi, and there's a town right next to Columbia, Mississippi, Baxterville, where we legit could not drive at night. Uh, when I, where our football team would go play football in Poplarville, would drive through Baxterville, and they would hang like little stuffed monkeys in their yards and make it clear that our bus couldn't stop there. And a lot of folks like to fantasize Mississippi as being this like exception 
and I, I, I grew up there. I know Mississippi has some issues, but it's not just there. What's wild about that is why I mean, sweeping issues under the rug is that there are so many churches within that town that recognize what they recognize. I see the same thing I see, um, but because we are in some ways, these these issues are kind of taboos or just like they, it is what it is kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's rarely addressed or talked about. And so I think a lot of black people bring a lot of trauma to these conversations. And there's an expectation for that trauma to be, you know, compartmentalized in a separate place and then have like, you know, healthy dialogue around it. And I think a lot of white folks bring a lot of uh, a strange reality, (laughs) a strange perspective on what America is. Uh, And and I would say even a, a, a fascination with the idea of America as being this holy place, this clean place. And yeah. it makes it really weird to have actual dialogue. When it does happen, I think it's a window into heaven. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it happens nearly as often. And so when Ahmaud Aubrey was killed, when the Breonna Taylor murder was, was brought to everybody's attention, when George Floyd died, all of us in the span of like two months, that I, I had just moved to a predominantly white church in a predominantly white neighborhood. And it's, it's during COVID. I haven't met these people yet. And so I would hate to wear my lament that open in front of white folks. I don't know how they're going to receive it. Yeah. Um, and that's actually what started the writing of the book was I feel like I, I want to be as hurt and broken outwardly as I am inwardly. And I don't feel safe to do so. I don't know if my livelihood will be supported, which is really strange as like a minister, you know? Yeah. Like I don't know if my livelihood will be supported in me being hurt. You were talking about you You listened to an episode prior on Lament. And the reason I don't know which one that was is because I've done that topic five or six times. But I remember the first time that it came up was with Professor Sun Chong Ra. And he got a line in there and it stuck with me since. He said two things. One was about immigration and how they how it goes with the church. And the second was, um, he's like, we forget that like 78 or 77 or something percent of the whole Bible is all Lament. He's like, we read like the 30% that isn't. And we're like, yay, we did it. Um, but he's like, the rest of it is all like, how long? Oh, it still sucks. You know, it's it's books like Amos and all of the prophets being like, you still miss the point, and so I don't yeah. hear your worship, um, which has become like my my Amos five, you know, twenty through twenty five or so has been my my scripture for the whole year. So, um, yeah, the um, that Jeremy Martis bit there, the line that got me the most was where you say, welcome to this ugly club of names grieved only by us and by heaven. And that was the part where I had to set it down. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm sitting there looking at all these kids and I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old and, you know, I just, it, it just hit too close to home. I don't like to be emotional and that's your fault. You did this. Um, <laughs> you did this. You talk about playing games with your family. Uh, you talk about house rules and um, this was just because I like sarcasm. So you talk about the game of Boston, which I haven't played since college. So I'm curious, <laughs> not, not Boston, you talk about spades, um, which yeah, Boston yeah. is a thing you can do in there. See, I already did it wrong. So in, in, yeah, that's, that's when you know you play spades. So, um, I used to be really good, so I'm really curious. How often were you able to go Boston when you're playing house rules? You know, Ooh, when you're playing no, I'm spades. I'm not the one you want to play with, man. <laughs> you don't go. You, you're not able to go Boston, or oh, no, we're no, doing no, I'm this. Saying, you don't want to play against me. <laughs> um, so and, and we we have this thing like, and I, and we have a thing in my family where like the poem's called House Rules, but it, it should be called like trash talking. Like that's, that's like it's that's like that's our love language, you know. Um, my <laughs> freshman year in college, I came in like knowing how to play, like mm. knowing how to, how to, how to, how to, how to play cards. Mm-hmm. And the trash talk would just like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would spend nights 
2 a.m. in the morning, I'm still up at Waffle House playing spades with friends. Mm-hmm. Not, I should be doing homework. You know, probably should be studying. It's uh, math, though. Not, it's math. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy with some spades, my guy. <laughs> I can remember when I learned the concept of Boston. My dad and mom were teaching it to me. And I was like, oh, you can. He's like, yeah, but it's not really about getting all the tricks. It's about humiliating the other person so that they don't have the confidence to like, I'm going to go three. You sure you're going to go three? All right, I'm going to go two. That's why, that's why I thought you were going to go, you know, kind of I thing. Put you in your place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We both know what's happening here. Um, so um, I want to talk a bit about social media because I like how you approach it. You, you, you begin uh, a poem talking about keyboards clicking and clacking, and I'm going to badly paraphrase it. But towards the tail end of that, you say that arguments don't work. And what we need to have instead is a generation filled with the spirit of God. And that's a word, at least in my denomination, we don't use that often. Like spirit of God is, you know, we don't put hands up when we sing, you put your hands down. I'm uncomfortable because your hands are not down. I think honestly, the fact that we can't sing because of COVID, people are even more comfortable. Like, yes, it's a concert. We're doing this. So can you talk a bit about that? Like talking about Black Lives Matter, singing a dirge, missing the point of the whole party and celebration that Jesus is talking about with the kids and like how we do that in social media and what the heck is, what are you, what are you getting at when you mean spirit of God? How does that all kind of go together? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give a nerdy theological answer and then try to make it make sense. That's because um, you're, that's because you're technically a minister. I mean, air quotes, you can't see them. Right now, they're there. <laughs> um, so and I have a poem on this too, I think. Yeah. Things in the book, but back in, you know, Genesis one, you have the spirit hovering over, the tohu wabohu, the chaos, the disorder. And it's like, okay, God's near chaos. That's cool. That's nice to see. Mm. Uh, and that word for God's spirit is you know, his breath. His breath is hovering over chaos, which is a really interesting picture. Uh, next page over Genesis 2, you have you know, God's spirit being breathed into the nostrils of a lifeless body. So the chaos isn't there, but there's no life in the shell. And the spirit, the breath enters into the body. You fast forward into Ezekiel, and the breath blows through a cavern of dead things, and it brings them back to life. This idea that death is the absence of breath, the absence of life, and yet God seems super into breathing life on dead things, but he's super for it. Mm. Um, it's like his shit, you know? Uh, then you have Jesus, he comes, breathes his breath over people, says, receive the Holy Spirit, it's kind of a weird thing. Wouldn't be allowed to happen right now in COVID times. Um, <laughs> then he does, you know. Then he does, and then he dies. And in the scripture, he gives up the breath, like the breath of God leaves him, and he's a dead dude. And then the spirit brings him back to life. The breath comes back into a dead body. He's alive again. And then he breathes that life into the church, and the church is alive now. And so, things that should not be alive, God puts life in them via His breath. It's this thing that animates us, that makes us human, makes us alive. And we're all for it. In the black church, <laughs> when you catch the Holy Ghost, when, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you dance, you sing, you cry. You like, like, the, the, like black people, I think, are in general, are just like, I don't know. I think we all have some animatedness in all of us, no matter what skin color you are. Mm-hmm. But particularly in black church, it was one of the few places we could read, a few places we could gather, one of the few places we could really hold joy. And so we, don't, we never held back in the gathering. Like, that was our place to interact and be fully alive, right? So what happens? You have a people who should be down and dead and stoic. And instead, when they're allowed to gather and they're calling on God, they come alive in, in a way that is powerful and vibrant and beautiful. Mm. 
So yeah, for me, I think that I'm so exhausted with trying to convince a dead a dead person that, that this is an issue, you know? Like I'm, yeah. I'm tired of trying to argue a corpse back to life. I don't I don't have a good track record of doing it, but God does. And so the prayer is that you know the Holy Spirit, uh, the breath of God, would start to animate some people whose hearts are a little cold and dead to this particular conversation. And this is uh, this is uh, Joel, uh, the promise that the Holy Spirit is going to come and breathe life into uh, into all of us, and we, we become sons and daughters, and we wake up, we get hearts of flesh. You know, yeah. I think a lot of white and black and anything in between, brothers and sisters who have kind of grown callous and cold-hearted to a lot of these issues, both sides too. I would say. Because when I first started working for a white church, a lot of my, you know, black friends and family were like, why would you go work there? Yeah. Um, And yeah, I I think there is some underlying tension within our communities. And I don't think politics are helping at all right now, but (laughs) November 4th is coming. So that's cool. Well, for context, tonight that we're recording this, the president is having his own town hall because he refused to participate in a virtual debate, which I'll tell you right now, it's pretty easy to talk to somebody on the internet. This is 2020. Of all the bad things, this is a good thing. Yeah, so we could be doing and watching that, and I'm glad we're not doing that. So, um, yeah, 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 I'm glad. So what do I do with that then? So if I get that and I... Something I've been learning, I've been trying to do better, and I think I got it from Jared Bias when I talked with him, where he's like, you know, just tell me why, tell me more, tell me, and just asking a lot more questions. But I have about zero patience for racism and for people that can't honor the divine in every single animated thing, not in just in this world, in all of them. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know how to more emphatically say that, that I sometimes can't just hit block or just just go off and what one of my friends will say he's like seth you come in like with like too many hammers like you you suck up all the space and you leave no room for anyone to talk and you bring in so much facts that people are like back away slowly and then they just leave which isn't helpful to the conversation so for people listening like yeah i feel alive like i feel moved to talk about this been praying about this i've been reading about this i've been listening to a lot of podcasts about this i've been doing this i've been doing that um you know i bought your book i dropped i bought drew hart's book i went ahead and bought uh ibrahim kendi's but like i bought all the books and I'm, i'm doing the thing and i feel woke air quotes how do they approach that with their family with their social media community because that's become a new form of family in a way that would be helpful as opposed to causing more problems well, I think so. And this this is where I, I like art for a number of reasons. I think there is a desire for all of us to connect deeply. And this is like, you know, the whole fully known, fully loved thing. We all want that, but it's, it's, it's risky as hell. Like that's, that's, that's a hard thing. You know what I'm saying? The moment you start becoming more and more honest, the more you become more vulnerable and they could love you less, but you're like, we're so wired for, you know, approval and, and for that head nod and for that. Yes. Mm. Um, it's a dangerous business, it's a dangerous business. And I think that, what art has a chance to do is to not say this is the fact. It's simply to say, this is how I feel. I'm not as patient um, <laughs> in the heat of the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm just not like it's a reality. I'm, I'm still, I'm broken, man. Um, and so when I, when I come to a conversation and I'm trying to win an argument, 
I'm speaking facts, and the more my facts are not being heard, the more my feelings are getting in it, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Like, so now, now it's like an amalgam of fact and feeling all together, and it's like none of this is, is really getting where I'm trying to go. Yeah. So versus arguing facts and then my feelings get hurt, I simply want to express my feelings. And if you don't agree with the facts of it, that's fine. Uh, but again, that whole the whole response of the church is not to agree with why the kids are mourning, just mourn with them. You know, you, you don't have to agree with that. Yeah. Like expression, I think, is a lost part that because we're kind of moved into this, you know, digital age and, and, and information age, um, we've never had so much. Uh, we've never had so much resource to back our own opinions in the history of humanity, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to get beyond that level of let me hear you just to argue you. Yeah. Um, if I, if I feel like we're in an argument. So I would encourage anybody, even if you're not an artist, you don't have to be an artist, but find ways to have conversations that are intentional. That you intentionally cannot win. There's no way there could be a winner in the conversation. If I'd say you hurt my feelings, well, then it's like, well, no, I didn't do this. It's like, okay. My feelings are hurt. Like I am hurting. Yeah. That's, that's, that's me. I ain't got to do with you. You ain't got to hold that. But like yeah. expressing lament. And that's the thing about biblical lament, right? Is biblical lament is, I'm aiming all of this frustration towards God. Like I said, it's towards God first. My unrest, my frustration, it's all towards God. Now, there are things I can blame for this, too. But I, I, I first find myself reconciling my own brokenness, my own pain, with someone who promises he's my father. Like, he hears it. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so starting there, I think whatever comes next, and this is Jesus in John 15, where he's like, abide first, be in the vine first. And then verse eight, this is to my father's glory. You bear fruit. Whatever fruit comes with you just abiding in that feeling, that motion, that space, whatever comes from that is fruit. Yeah. Whatever comes from connecting, is, he'll work with that. So I think finding ways that we can just express feelings uh, and emotion and lament together that aren't going to win an argument, I think is going to be key to figuring out whatever the next stage of community looks like. Because right now, community is it, it, it's, it's in chaos. Simple up. We don't yeah. know. Who knows what it will be? Who, I, nobody knows what it is. Community is is where you can be honest. That's what I think community is. It's, it's where you can be honest. So um, you used some big words earlier, and, and I want to make sure. It, so Spirit of God in the Old Testament uh, in Genesis, that's Ruach, right? Am I saying that correct, Ruach? Yeah. Yeah. So a friend of mine, and I forget where I read it, he said that in the New Testament, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they rendered that as you know, I'm, I'm giving up the, you know, when Jesus is talking about, you know, I, I'm leaving and something else is happening. But John is the only one that says, I'm now giving you the spirit, the same word that I'm giving you the same Ruach so that when I leave, you can now come alive. Like death is dead and now you're alive. So I do want to put that in. It's not really in any of the dirges, but mostly I needed to ramble while I got my thoughts right for, for this. So you got a word in here about the N words we weren't allowed to say. And I debated as to whether or not I wanted to bring this up because to be honest, I read this really slow multiple times because I just, yeah. So (laughs) I don't even know how to pivot into it, but there's a part on here. The part that I got is not an inward. Obviously the inward is the inward, but there are other inwards in here that I wasn't prepared for. Like, like inwards we weren't allowed to say are no, never, not again, nice day officer, our native language, not forgotten. And they're stripped from your mouths like a smooth mouth screw, which just that last sentence is, I don't even know what a smooth mouth screw is. Is that a strip screw? Is that what that is? Smooth? Yeah. So can you go over that? Because that's just, I was uncomfortable with all of that. And I think that's appropriate and adequate and probably the point. 
But yeah, yeah, uh, it's worth noting that because we're so used to facts, we typically get books that like and we don't know how to do with poetry much in our culture these days. I agree. We want facts presented, agree with me or inform me. Like that's the point. A book of poetry is to, is to do what I'm exact. I'm excited to hear what it's doing. Uh, it's to make you uncomfortable. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you can see. Like I'm literally like I I, I don't I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's the point. It's like it's, it's like it's like surgery. Like, mm. I, I think we need this. I think we need this. Um, but it's hard. It is hard. So so the N words we weren't allowed to say is a book that I I had to pray about and talk with several of my my friends about. Uh, white and black, if I should put this in mm-hmm. the book or not. And I'll talk about why it stayed in a second. But the overall idea is, especially with that, that, that stance that you brought up, there are parts of not just my vernacular, parts of my culture that are kind of taboo in my church. And I don't think they're taboo to God, which raises a question about who's wrong here. Is it, is it my culture? Is it God or is it the church? Like Something's not meshing. Square peg, round hole. Mm-hmm. Somehow there's not, there's not a fit. And so the poem is simply raising that question for you to figure out in your own space, right? Like I've had to wrestle with this. Whenever I'm around my family, that's the word I use loosely, the term of endearment. It's, it's, it's a conversation amongst brothers and sisters and fam. Like I, that's, just, that's just part of our language. And yet I know where I can and I cannot say it. And that's fine. That's, that's a part of the world we live in. It's broken. It's, 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 it's janky. Um, same way I know what towns I can't go to at night. Mm. The same way I know what words I can and can't use in front of white company. And that for me would be okay in like corporate America. But the fact that I, 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 I bite my tongue in church is an interesting thing. I say nigga when I pray. Like I, me, and, me and God, I, I don't have a filter in front of him because he knows me anyway. You know, like mm. he knows exactly who I am. And he knows how I've been shaped. And so as I explore more about why is this particular word or this particular part of my culture taboo, you learn that there's an ugly history with the word. Yeah. Uh, but the word is more symbolic of just our relationship in general. There has been some ugly history. I think one of the lines is like there's a pretty hard fork in the road as we've been journeying together. And at some point in time, there became a narrative that we are in a place now. And those words were from back when we weren't in that place. But we still hold those words. We don't agree that we're in the same place, you know? And I think as a church, there's been there's been a a culture built. Culture is not a hard power. Culture is a soft power. It's it's you know the way in which everybody is moving. It's the it's the words that we do and do not say. There's no sign on the window that say where I can and can't say. But I know it and I feel it. We've created a culture where if I were to go back home and invite all of my friends who still talk the way I talked two years ago, who still talk the way I talk when I'm around my family. They would not be welcome in my church. Mm. I think that's an issue for what the church is because they would be welcome at the feet of Jesus. They'd be welcome with their language. And so, yeah, I, I just feel like I want people to wrestle with the same tension that all black folks are wrestling with. Or at least they acknowledge that we're wrestling with this. Let me also say I, I really enjoy poetry. And and honestly, uh, mostly I rap music is like my resting music because of the poetry, right. not the garbage on the radio. Like I've been listening to No Big Deal lately. I don't know if you've listened to him at all. Dilly. Yeah, yeah. Dilly. Oh, my gosh. Like I just laugh. And my wife's like, like it, you have to pay attention. But there's so many subtle references. Like, that's, that's just hilarious. But 
there's a part in there. So you you know, getting with that, um, I forget the word you said with the screw. Let me pull it back up. Yeah, the smooth mouth screw. But I find it hilarious that about five stanzas later, you basically say, I make a poor handyman. My wife fills my toolbox with a list of numbers to contact professionals. I mean, just say, I just like that play on words because it does connect the two. Because honestly, you kind of change gears there. When it says number four, I don't know if that stands for. I have no idea why that formatting's there. Um, I have no idea why the one, two, three, four is there. But let me just say how much I really like. I laugh. Like when I got there, I'm like, oh, see, you see what he did? I see what he did there. What is CP time? Are you referencing Roy Wood Jr.? Is that what that is? Because that's a daily show skit. You know what I'm talking about or no? Uh-oh. Oh, but you know the, the, the black guy on The Daily Show. He's like the overweight, heavy set guy. I think he was also yeah. in the office, right? Yeah, yeah. So he has a thing where he gets, you know, he put his tie on and he, he dials it way back in an educated way. And he'll explain like, um, I was watching one for uh, Columbus Day, I think. And he's like, let's talk about explorers, like the black ones, like the first guy that went to the North Pole. He was black, though, so we can't talk about him. And he just kept on going. He's talking about it. Yeah. But he's like, but it's called CP time. Um, I, I think stands for colored people time. I'm not sure and that's how you're using it. So when Maybe I read that, that, I busted out laughing because all I could see was Roy Wood Jr. in my head on yeah. repeat. What is that? Like, I, he's never explained it. So what do you mean when you say CP time? Like, so it, it, it's a it's a it's I don't say it's a coded. It is a cultural reference. Mm-hmm. Um, so if a, if a. A black person is late somewhere. Um, the assumption is oh, he's, he's he's moving on CP time. It's color people time. <laughs> um, it's a jab. And so that, that line of the poem, I think the way I use it is white folks showed up on CP time. So there's a assumption that black people are always like late to stuff. Um, and we feel like white folks are just not kind of getting on board with some of the social justice things. And it's like, y'all been on CP time. Now, yeah. You were coming the whole time. You're on your way. Yeah. It took you a little while longer to get here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's the that's the reason I bring that up. So that whole thing, and I think that's actually called And Now What? Yeah, that's what it's called. And so you say in there, you know, if a movement, you say, so is it a movement if we go nowhere? Amen to the white friends that have joined in in the prayer line and amen to the blacked out photos that hang like a curtain over your social media platforms. And you go on to keep keep going and keep going. But many i'm i'm fairly certain that the demographic of this show and and just because of uh the way that the world works uh, many of the listeners of the show are not going to be not white like and that's a bad sentence but they mostly so now what like flesh that out cuz i feel like a lot of people are like great i don't know how to do this like i don't know how to do this at my church i don't know how like now like like literally now what like so as a technical minister um like like now what that's going to be a thing. Oh. That's the name of the show right there. That's the whole podcast. That's- technical minister. <laughs> I, I, I joked about starting one. I might take that. Dude, dude, like dude you can you can take. So I stole the name of this show from my same friend, Josh, that when we were talking about things, was like, dude, you can't say that at church. I'm like, that's mine. The name. That's, that's mine. Um, yeah. That's And he, he, I'm never giving him any money for that at all. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, the podcast is bringing in the dough, man. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. So now what? And it matters even more. It doesn't matter who wins the election. We got sure. problems. It doesn't matter who wins the election. Black people are still being murdered. It doesn't matter who wins the election. Um, qualified immunity is still a thing. Like it doesn't matter. Churches are still going to divide people and make it the most racially segregated Zoom hour in the country. You know, because it's not the hour anymore. It's a Zoom hour. So whatever that looks like for, for the COVID there. So now what? So I think for me, I've been spending a lot of time in Galatians three and trying to wrap my head around Paul's language there where he's like, 
You know, there's no more slave or free, Jew or Gentile, mm-hmm. male or female. And that that language coming from Paul, like, is really weird because Paul thinks that there's still <laughs> he's, he's very clear that there's still Jew and Gentile. He spends a, a good chunk of his ministry ministering differently to them. Um, he thinks that there's still male and female. He even has opinions about what males can do and what women can't do. And so he's he's he doesn't seem to be making an argument that we are now uh, genderless, raceless, or eth- ethnicity cleansed. Like he, he's not making any kind of argument for sameness. He's making a solid argument for oneness. Mm. And I think that the church has kind of confused the two that there's an expectation that, okay, now we all got to be the same and get on, on board together. And I'm like, yeah, but I still, I'm still wired the way I'm wired. Like the language I use by and large is not sinful. I'm still going to be me. Like I'm, I'm still going to be who I'm, who I am. And what Jesus is doing, at least those of us who believe in like the whole resurrection thing is he's making a new humanity, you know, like mm-hmm. it's his whole, his whole thing. Uh, first John three, He's like, you know, we don't know what we're going to be yet, but we know when we see him, we'll be as he is. Like, we'll be transformed into whatever this new humanity Christ is. That's what we're striving towards. And so there is a desire for a future oneness in Christ Jesus that I'm all about. Any attempts at sameness, any attempts at whitewashing or blackwashing, which I don't know what that is, but I've heard counter arguments in that way. Really? Um, what oh, it, yeah. How can I don't that, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't, but but but, but pe- people again, when you when you want to argue a thing, you ain't even on facts no more. It doesn't make all... any sense because whiteness is the default textbook. Like every page in there is 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 it, it's a different topic. It, <laughs> anyway, uh. the point the point being though is I think that and I think one of the lines in the poem is like you know a bridge a bridge is trying to take you somewhere, yeah. right? I think we kind of can't get on the same page. We can't even decide on the bridge that we should take. If we can't decide, we all want to go to the same place. I don't, I don't have any critique for how people try to move forward towards unity and oneness. I openly reject sameness. I openly reject that God wants us to uh, forget who we are ethnically. Three revelations, people of all nation tribes are showing up, laying down crowns. Apparently, we coming from places yeah. and he's cool with that. And he's glorified in it. And it's all his image. It's all, it's all been touched by his hand. He loves it. And so, yeah, I, I feel like whatever, whatever oneness looks like for, for our time and our context, I'm all about that. And I, I do leave that poem at, at the poem is a list of pros. It doesn't offer any answers. It's for you to wrestle with. That's why I asked here so that hopefully you would answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I bet, that's the point though. Right. Cause again, we want, like hand me an answer. And my answer is the same thing. Breath of God. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how I was going to do it. I, I, I have exhausted myself emotionally, spiritually. Like I, I have no more to give in arguments to white folks mm. who don't want to listen or new phenomena, black folks who don't believe it's an issue either. Like, mm. I, I, don't, I don't have any argument for that. I have a bleeding heart for myself and for you. And, and I desire for this oneness. I've seen it. In my context, the area I was discipled in, it was a handful of artists while I was in college, and it was a mixed community. It was a white pastor, dude who was, I mean, he's a white dude, you know what I'm saying? But black kids come to the church, uh, white kids, Hispanic kids come to the church, and, like, we actually had an all-Hispanic service that wasn't just, like, where all the Mexicans are, go. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was like, this is just, a, we sing this kind of genre music here, mm. and no matter what you look, you come to it. Like, I've seen oneness before that was clunky and weird beautiful yeah and 
That's what it looked like for us. I'm not saying it has to look that for everybody else. I've just caught a glimpse of what oneness could be. And I don't want to settle for anything that's less than that. I think sameness is, is a settling for less than. It's been a while since I asked this question, but it matters. It's less. It's, very, it's not theological at all, but it's extremely important. So you're in Texas now from California and Mississippi. So I, I, you've been all over the continent. So um, being that I'm from Texas, I take this personal. And, and depending on the answer, I might just hit delete on the whole thing. Um, right. Whataburger or, or In-N-Out Burger? <laughs> all right so i'm a loyalist as we talked about with basketball i i have to say it about Delete, deleted <laughs> and, and, and can i make it can i make a counter argument because sure. because here's, here's where i get into like the whole like now i gotta bring facts up <laughs> <laughs> this is how i feel <laughs> Dude, I, hey you but texas is a cult and and, and people here like i could say i could say i like in and out more i like it (laughs) i like i don't have to like it what you like i like it more that that is there's no space for that here like you have assaulted you don't see these come and take it tattoos on me cuz like you can't not like my burger i think y'all got better fries i'll go that far i haven't had a whataburger in 20 years but I think that's why I like it so much because it's like I hadn't tasted it in forever. I, I'm, I'm, I am, yeah. I'm asking for the drip of water on my tongue, and that drip of water is water burger. You know, at the moment. So <laughs> see what I did. That's blasphemous right there. Um. So, so. Wow. <laughs> um. All right. So serious note. So a question I've been asking everyone this year: When you say God to someone, or the divine, or whatever words you want to say. What are you saying? Like, what is that? How is that? Yeah, I think I think that when I have a conversation with uh, my mom, uh, I was raised just my mom, single parent home, all that stuff like that. When I have a conversation with my mom, I can tell the spaces when it's just love, when it's just for me. I can tell when fear gets into the conversation. I can tell the tone of her voice. I can tell when it's just like when, when she has an agenda. Like, I think she's crazy for me, but even she's a human, you know, mm-hmm. Uh I had a conversation with my mom when I was 17 years old. And I said, Mom, I want to be a pilot. And she was like, you know, black man in America, you need a degree, no pilot school, you're going to college. I heard her voice coded in fear, you know? Mm-hmm. Not that it was my mom, but there was like that it was that fear in that. On the flip side, I came and told my mom, hey, I'm, I'm adopting a little girl. And there was nothing but like joy and excitement. And and not that the circumstances are not necessarily what it, what it is, but I can hear in her the difference of this is just my love for you coming out versus this is my fear, my concern, whatever. Same thing in my, my, my wife, my daughter, same thing in conversations here. Like I feel like whatever that genuine pure sense of, of life, that energy can't be created or destroyed. There's something in like pure about where we come from, something pure about what love does and how it connects people. I think that is, that is a window into who God is. I think it's a, it's a breadcrumbing of sorts back to who he is ultimately. Um, when I think of God, I think of the pureness of life, the pureness of love. I think of holiness, not in like the, you know, I'm I'm behaving, mm-hmm. uh, but holy, kind of like in that Old Testament sense where it's just, it's other. It's it's what we're all surrounded by, but we're all chasing toward because it's not fully here yet. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a loaded way of saying. And I, and I think it's Jesus. I think Jesus embodies that in a way that is that only he has done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of uh, you know, that first Corinthians 13, you know, this is like, this is like a description of who love it. It just sounds like, like a savior. Um, so yeah, that's, that's 
it's my jumbled up leaning towards. So where do people go? I tried to find you on Twitter. Couldn't find you. Maybe you're not on Twitter. Um, cool. But it's like, so like, where do you want people to go get the book, you know, et cetera? Like, where do they yeah. go? Uh, so we sang a dirge.com. You can find the book there. Uh, you can follow me on the Instagrams, uh, mm-hmm. low the poet L O T H E P O E T. You can send your boy an email. Cause I love these conversations. Uh, love the poet at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, I think I'm still on Facebook, uh, <laughs> low element. <laughs> um, I'm not cool enough for Twitter, man. It's a place to be super opinionated. And I, I got, I got enough of that. Um, Oh, I, yeah. So I don't quite understand Twitter. Uh, no, I'm, I mean, Instagram, Twitter's become my place. So it's like Facebook's where I go because that's the, that's the algorithm that runs the world at the moment. But Twitter's like where I go and put it this way. So uh, a theologian, basically, uh, let me, let me back up. All those links are going to be in the show notes for the laziness that for people need to go down and just click the button. Cause I will say, you know, that's, that's the world we live in and we need it easy. So I'll make it easy. However, um, yeah, I, someone said, you know, put a song in my head in five words. So on Twitter, I said, never going to give you up mm. to which the responses were like, Oh, he see what he did there. And then my second response was just a gif of him, Rick rolling. You know, that's, yeah, that's Twitter to me. I don't know how to do that on Instagram. You know what I mean? It's so, and maybe it's a generational thing, but Instagram, it's that and more. <laughs> and, and, and we're, we're such a, a visual society now. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know. I don't know half the things I think I know, but you show me an image and my mind just goes to those places. That's you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. 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 Well, good, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Really sure. enjoyed it so, so very much. It's been a pleasure, man. I'd like to Come do it on. again. I don't know what we'll talk on, but we'll figure it out. I'd love to do it again. I really, I, I don't always laugh in these, so I like laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about it. I'm so, so about it. Night, never was my fight. As I've done with many of the poets or artists that have come onto the show, I asked Lowe if he would read a bit from his book. And so I found this specific section extremely powerful. I hope you do too. Ain't the keyboard tired? And it's sick of being forced to sound like something it isn't. And it's sustained for too long. And its buttons been pressed too much. And it fed up with being a plaything for inexperienced hands. Let it respond. Let it raise the volume on its frustrations. Let the depths of its laments be transposed to a key that silence can't lock up. Let it hurt out loud. Let it be loud enough for all to hear. What a beating the drum takes. How oppressive the sticks must seem could see one strike as coincidence, but how long before we call the cadence systemic? How many blows can it take before it can't take any more? Let it speak out. Let percussion come from its protests. Let it sound off. Let it push back. Let a rhythm be born for how many times it says no and doesn't crack and doesn't break and still is so tight the violin strings are pulled. So firm its neck held. So sharp the bow cuts along its vulnerable body. So agonizing it must be to be sawed into. Let it cry. Let its aching be an audible groan. Let the sound it makes unsettle whoever hears it. Whoever won't tune it out. Whoever will listen. I've known life to be a sweet song. I've known living to be a complicated sheet of music. 
I've known many to fear Christ to be a critic of suffering, forgetting that he too was a man broken into a sad song. His body laid into a silent tomb, his resurrection, an invitation to keep quiet no longer. The father is a good conductor. He has staff lines for hands, an honest space for us to place all of our notes, whether beautiful or broken. I've sung many sorrows to him. I've been a playlist of emotions. I cry out before him time and time again. And each time he listens. No one can do what you do. All of this time I've been hurt. This year, and honestly, many of the years in the past, have brought so much sorrow and pain, angst, fears, and that's okay. I believe that the God that we worship is big enough for that, and if he's not, if she's not, if it's not, it's not one that's worth our adoration, our faith, our worship. It's just not. I'm so thankful for people like Lo for bringing a text that can allow me to embrace lament, but also look for hope and joy. Today's music was by Brandon Murphy. You're going to find links to his music on the playlist for the show. Remember to rate and review. And if you're able, support the show on Patreon or any other way that you're able. I will talk with you next week. Be blessed. Never was my fight Making all it was hard.